tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to be talking about depression. You know, there's a difference between being sad and being depressed. I think that every one of us has been sad at one point or another. And I, I know personally, I've struggled with depression for a large portion of my life. You know, and it's just a, an overwhelming, you know, sadness and it's debilitating and it really cripples a person. I know that it, it really influenced me all through my childhood and adolescence into my 20s. Um, it wasn't until I came to know the Lord that I got any sort of relief from the depression that I'd struggled with for the majority of my life. <clears throat> you know. It makes it hard to handle daily activities. It makes it hard to follow through with things. You know, personally, I, I just wanted to sleep a lot. You know, anytime that there was any new thing that was difficult to handle, you know, I would look to sleep as a solution. I looked to, you know, many other unhealthy coping mechanisms, drugs, alcohol, you know, pornography, you know, to help me to to cope, to manage, to distract myself from, you know, the oppression that was really going on in my life. Um, from a very young age, um, people were trying to diagnose me with different things. Um, my stepmother watched Donahue back in the day. That was like before Oprah Winfrey. And she like instantly diagnosed me from some pills she wanted. And she knew all the meds that I needed to take. And made a big fuss and, you know, I ended up going to see a psychologist when I was a young kid and, you know, it just was like nothing ever seemed to work, you know, and, uh, I really struggled, you know, them trying to put me on pills, you know, in my early teens and I refused to do it. You know, I didn't, I, the stigma from it, you know, I think was just as much of something that was difficult to handle as, the depression in itself, you know, there's a lot of confusion and frustration that comes with it. You know, people will tell you that they understand what you're going through. And, and I've come to realize that you can't possibly understand what somebody else is going through. You can sympathize on some level that they're going through something difficult, but anytime that someone says, I know how you feel, it, it's really not an accurate statement. And I think it, belittles the person that you say that to because it what they're going through is very personal and you're just saying, Oh, I, I know what you feel, you know, like, you know, it's, it's difficult to understand what somebody's going through because of all the factors that are involved, you know, and, you know, I, I think that it's important that we're there for people and we can, you know, encourage people, you know, but sometimes we, are trying to help, but we don't always say the, the best words, you know, <clears throat> you know, that, you know, psychology and neuroscience, you know, have their theories, but what I've come to realize through the years, you know, that the brain is, you know, an uncharted territory. We really don't know much about it. You know, that, you know, they tell us that we're only using really 10% of it, you know, and, you know, as much as, they want to try to understand all the different, you know, things that are going on with hormones and chemicals and dopamine, dopamines and serotonins. You know, they, they really don't understand it. You know, it's a pseudoscience, which basically means that, you know, it, it's a guessing game. 
That's my opinion. I'm not a doctor. I don't have a degree, you know, but I know that I was a, a medical guinea pig for many, many years. And, you know, in my personal story, the more medications they put me on, the worse I got, you know, and, you know, I tried therapy and psychology for many, many years and, and, you know, I struggled with addiction, so that didn't help. You know, anytime that you're using substances and trying to use those types of medications, it's going to have a an opposite effect. You know, and a lot of times the substances that you're we're using, you know, are depressive. You know, alcohol is a depressant. You know, smoking cigarettes is a depressant. Marijuana is a depressant. You know, so if we're using these types of substances and we're struggling with depression, you know, it's adding to the the problem as much as we're trying to cope with the, the, you know, the situation, it technically is making things worse. You know, depression isn't always a medical problem, you know, that, you know, I think that it's a human problem. I think most of us at, at one time or another in our life will have a season or three of depression. You know, maybe it lasts a, a winter, maybe it's seasonal depression because you hate the snow, you know, and you think that, you know, sunshine is going to be your solution, you know, and that, that may be true for you. I don't know. You know, for me, I love the wintertime. So I'm happier in the wintertime than in the summertime. So how, you know, my seasonal depression is summer because humidity makes me angry. But, you know, I think that most people have a time or a season that they go through where just life isn't the way we wish it would to be. And it, you know, it's hard to function at times, you know, and I think that's normal, you know, why, you know, the medical or emotional problems can add and, and contribute to depression, you know, and we can say that it's a mental illness, you know, and it may be, I'm not a doctor. I'm not trying to tell you that, you know, if anybody's listening to this and I'm trying to put that down because I'm not, I, I struggled with depression for a long, long time in my life. You know, at one point in my life, I was collecting Social Security disability insurance for my depression. You know, that I was so debilitated that, you know, the government decided to say, this kid's really screwed up. We're going to pay him because he can't function in life. And and they weren't wrong, you know. And I, I collected that insurance for a long time based on addiction and mental illness issues. However, Jesus came into the equation and, and began to change all that. You know, <clears throat> you know, what's the Bible really say about depression? In, in Proverbs twelve twenty five, it mentions depression directly. It says, anxiety in my heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. You know, you know I, I think that it's important that we understand that the Bible Although it's not a psychology book, although it's not, you know, there as the way the world would say that we would need it. However, I think the Bible is a very important tool in helping us to know what God says about things. You know, that, you know, having a diagnosis, having a prescription can help us. You know, I will honestly say that if I didn't have medications in this, you know, the 10 years prior to Jesus, I may have killed myself. 
I may have committed suicide and that those medications probably helped me get through that time in my life. However, medication for me was not the solution. You know, it was something that helped me with the symptoms of my depression, you know, and once I began to work on the roots of my depression, I didn't need the, the, the solution to my symptoms any longer, you know, and by no means am I trying to put down medications or tell you to stop taking medications. I'm sharing my testimony about my journey with my depression and, and what I went through. You know, so please, I don't want anyone to feel any certain sort of way when I talk about these things, because this is my journey. You know, and when I came to Jesus and, and I started to really understand who he was and I started to read his word and I started to, you know, grow with who he was. And I started to pray about, you know, my life and my mind and my health and, you know, things began to shift, you know, and. When I would relapse, I would stop taking my medications because I'm not trying to, to better my life. I know that I'm trying to destroy my life. And I knew that medications wouldn't work while I was using substances. So anytime I would relapse, I would never take any medication. And my last time when I got sober, I refused to go back on medication. You know, so I'd already been off it for eight months. I've been using street drugs to medicate myself. And when I got sober, I just made a decision that I'm not doing that anymore. I didn't like the way those medications made me feel. I'd spent a decade doing everything that the doctor said as far as trying to take this and take that and go to this and talk to that person. And I felt like I was getting worse. And I basically made a declaration that if this Jesus stuff doesn't work, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not going back into that box. Because I really felt like medications put me in a box. Like I couldn't get super happy, but I couldn't get super sad, but I could get sad and it was hard for me to get happy. So I always kind of flatlined in this, this place that was very uncomfortable for me, you know, and, you know, as much as I would go to the doctors and talk about my depression, you know, they would put me on this one and take me off of that one here, try this one. This one's the sleep. This one's to pick you up. This one's a mood stabilizer. This one's for your depression. Oh, that's not working here. Let's give you more. Oh, that's not working. There's a new one on the market. Let's give you this one. And it was just like constant through the years, just all these different medications, you know, and my depression didn't get any better. Now, I know that some people do take medication and their depression gets better. And, I, and I'm, I'm happy for that. I'm not trying to say that no medication works. I'm saying it didn't work for me. You know, and <laughs> I also could recognize that my life was out of control in a lot of different ways. But, you know, as I started to come to Jesus, he started to bring some, you know, structure and discipline into my life. And I stopped doing some of the things that was, you know, contributing to my depression, even though I didn't realize it at the time. You know, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, it says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble at heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, and I think that it's important 
that we learn how to bring everything that we possibly can to Jesus. You know, and when I first got here in my 30s, you know, I had dump truck after dump truck after dump truck of burdens that I carried. You know, that there was all of these things in my life that I, I just handled, stuffed it down. I put it in the denial closet. My yoke was not easy. I carried my own burdens. I didn't let, you know, too many people in. You know, I, I struggled with addiction. You know, I struggled with depression. And I did not know how to let go of some of my burdens that I was so wound up with them for such a long time that it was part of my identity, you know, and not realizing how important our identity truly is that it made me who I was, you know, in my early years, I was an athlete, you know, I, I you know, excelled at sports and, and many different types of sports. You know, I went on to play college football. And even though I had, you know, an athletic background and got a lot of exercise, I still struggled with depression as a kid. You know, when I hurt my knee in my early 20s, my identity as an athlete got destroyed and I couldn't play sports any longer. And I, I fell into a really dark depression at that time in my life. And that's when, you know, marijuana turned into alcohol use and, and many other different types of drugs where before I was just the pothead with some, you know, recreational use of some other drugs. But when I hurt my knee, you know, I just didn't care anymore. You know, my whole life was gone and I, I just, I hated everything. I hated myself and I, I just didn't know how to deal with life and, and my burdens just kept piling up more and more, you know, and, you know, and I think that, you know, my identity transitioned from an athlete to somebody that was injured, struggled with addiction, struggled with substance abuse at that point in my life in my early 20s to the point where I didn't care, you know, and I started getting really reckless and, and using narcotics and and really committing, you know, a lot of crime. I just did not care. I was always in trouble, criminal mischief, you know, disorderly conducts, you know, possession charges. You know, I got arrested a lot in my early 20s because I just didn't care about anything at that point in my life, you know, and... <clears throat> I also contributed to the fact that I didn't believe in God on any level. You know, I was an atheist, so I had no outlet. You know, everything was, you know, you know, taking it upon myself, you know, drugs, alcohol, porn, sex, you know, no spiritual, you know, no spirituality anywhere in my life. I had nowhere to turn. I was always turning to the wrong things, you know, and even as Christians, we can still struggle with depression, you know, and I, I don't want anyone to feel, you know, shame for that. I think that it, each one of us goes through seasons and, and maybe you've had a several seasons in a row that things have been really difficult. And when we look to the Bible, there's many biblical characters that struggle with depression. You know, Moses struggled with it. David had his times with it. You know, there's a lot of the Psalms where he was talking about, you know, woe to my soul. You know, Elijah, after he just, you know, called down fire from heaven and, you know, he, he found himself, you know, running away into the wilderness and just wanting to die. 
you know, sometimes after real high highs, we can go to some really low lows. You know, Job obviously had a, a rough go of it, you know, and, you know, he sat in the ash pile throwing ashes on himself. And, and you know, we can see it, all the different things that he lost in his life, you know, and sometimes that can keep us stuck in some very difficult places. Jonah, you know, he's a funny character in the sense that he knew what God wanted him to do and he ran from it, you know, and, you know, he never found peace. And even when he finally repented and said that he would go do what God wanted him to do, when God finally, you know, delivered the Ninevites, you know, he was depressed because God delivered the people, you know, and he sat under the, you know, the leafy tree and the worm ate the, the branch. So he sat in the sun and he's just like, you know, my life can't get much worse than this. You know, you know, sometimes we, we just can't get our perspective right is the way that I look at it. You know, you know, we, we want certain things so much. And then when we don't get them, you know, the enemy has this funny way of, of tricking us with lies and we can go into, you know, a state of hopelessness. You know, you know, and and through the years as I've been working with different people, you know, and working with mainly Christians, because that's what, you know, this group is really about. I mean, I walked into this group many, many years ago as a, an agnostic, and I've had a lot of people come through here that have, are at various places in their belief with God. And, and everyone's absolutely always welcome. You know, we um believe that this is a place where anybody can come and heal and grow and ask questions but we're going to talk about jesus a lot you know and through the years as i've been working with people even though we're struggling the enemy doesn't attack our faith necessarily you know i can't come to you and tell you that jesus isn't real because that's not something that you'll accept but if i bring enough discouragement for long enough and hopelessness begins to creep in, you'll give up. You'll still believe in God. You'll still believe that you're going to heaven. You just believe that your existence here on this earth is going to be dismal and you're going to suffer for the rest of your life. And the enemy gets you to buy that lie and you begin to live that way and you don't fight anymore because what's the point? It's just going to be miserable anyway. You know, hopelessness is a very key component to depression. That when I struggled with depression, I did not believe that it was ever going to get better. And the enemy gets me to believe that lie. That this place that I'm stuck in, it's always going to be this way. You know, and when we're hopeless, we can't seem to muster up the courage or the energy to fight. So it's very important to where do we find hope and what is our hope in? Because if our hope is in the wrong things, that can lead to more discouragement when we don't get what we want in the time frame that we want. So then therefore the depression doesn't lift because our depression is hooked on the, you know, some external thing happening the way that I want it to happen. So then I can be happy, you know, and happiness is futile. You know, we get the new job, we're happy for like a week, and then we got to do work. 
And then we get the paycheck and we see all the taxes that came out of it. And now we're like, I need a new job. You know, we can get, you know, a new car and it, and it's nice until you get a chip in the paint. You know, I remember that when I got my truck and one of the guys was loading something in the back and they like scratched the fender and I'm like, and the Holy Spirit said, that's a work truck, I thought. And I'm like, yep, that's a work truck. That's a work truck, Jesus. It's a work truck. You're right. It's a work truck. And I had to surrender my nice brand new truck to Jesus. Because, you know, our vehicles, when they go through, you know, troubles, you know, that can be a very difficult thing. You know, health issues, you know, can be something that discourages us and, and we lose hope. You know, stuff going on in our families, stuff going on in relationships, stuff going on with our kids, stuff going on with our parents. That if if the solution is anything other than Jesus, we're going to get let down and the depression doesn't get lifted. You know, so expectations also have a part to play in, you know, our depression. You know, that we can find solutions in God's grace. Because a lot of times our depression is hooked to events in our past. You know, last week we talked about shame. You know, and and that's debilitating in itself. And a lot of times shame and depression are linked. And we don't really realize how they, you know, are knitted together. Where shame is like an identity, depression is like a feeling. You know, I, I, I feel overwhelmed. I feel, you know, you know, catatonic. I, I don't want to get out of bed. I, I feel, you know, tired. I, I feel hopeless. Or shame is this thing where I am a piece of trash and, and no one's going to love me and no one's going to like me and, you know, and I'm worthless. <laughs> Which both of those can link and add to each other. You know, so when we bring God into the equation, that we find a solution in God's grace that he begins to to heal some of these wounds as we repent of our sins. Because some of our depression and shame is connected to, to our sin activity in our life, whether it's my sin that I've committed, you know, against myself or against other people, and it's brought on sadness and brought on, you know, frustration or someone had sinned against me, you know, and I feel a certain way and, and, you know, it's not to make light of those events because a lot of our traumas are hooked to those types of events in our lives. But it's taking those things to Jesus and asking for forgiveness of anything that I may have done and also asking for the willingness to forgive other people for the things that they've done against us because we find our identity in those events. And when our identity is in anything other than Christ, the enemy gets in there and starts whispering his lies to us. You know, and the depression becomes so overwhelming, this oppression, this heaviness that that is constantly weighing on us, that it's very difficult for us to to get ourselves out of it because we don't know how to fight. We're hopeless. You know, we don't know what to do next, so we don't do anything. You know, and I know for me that I, I spent many, many years struggling with depression and just not having any hope. You know, but we we see that, you know, Paul talks about putting our hope in Christ, that he's going to deliver us in 2 Corinthians uh, 1.10, that 
we have to 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 transfer what we're going through and, and put it in Jesus's hands. And that can be difficult for any of us to have control issues because Jesus doesn't move as fast as we want him to. You know that Jesus is outside of time. He's not he's not influenced by our time frames. You know that it talks about that he's going to come soon. That was like 2000 years ago. Just to put that in perspective. You know that his soon is not our soon. You know, but we have to put these things in his hands and say, Jesus, you're the solution. I don't know how I'm going to get you into this area of my life, but me and you are going to wrestle until I get some breakthrough. You know, and I remember very clearly in, in my early days of sobriety and I'm pleading with Jesus that he takes my addiction. He heals my mind. He heals my depression. You know, and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed daily for those things. And it wasn't just like, hey, Jesus, take my depression. It was like I'm laboring in prayer, interceding for myself, saying, you have to change this. I have no solution other than you. I have tried every other thing that I can think of, and I've been left in a dark, deep pit. You know, and I have to believe that Jesus is my solution. And I have to come to him as fervently, as desperately as I chase sin. I have to put that in his hands and say, you are my solution for my depression. You are the solution to whatever it is that we're struggling with. And we got to put that in his hands and say, you are the only thing that I can turn to in this time of my life. You know, and I think that it's very important that we push through we have to develop some sort of perseverance because we can't put a time frame on it well i prayed a couple of times tom well i've been praying for weeks time i've been praying for months now okay how bad do i want it? because i used sin for decades trying to find a solution in that and i didn't give that up so easily now granted turning to jesus has its benefits, but also as we're in that waiting season, it can get very frustrating. However, if our hope is in Christ, he gets us through those times in our lives. You know, every one of us has had a moment where God has delivered us out of something and that we have something else. We're like, all right, now do this. And he's like, yeah, not today. You know, and we have to pray and intercede and work on disciplines, you know, and work on the things in our lives that, that help us to, to overcome whatever area it is that we're struggling in. You know, depression is this, you know, it's this thing that's this overwhelming cloud that, that looms, that it's not just something I can just instantly deal with. You know, if I'm struggling with one area or another, if I'm struggling with addiction, I can just be abstinent, you know, and I'll eventually that starts to, to lift. But, Depression isn't quite, I can't just stop it. I have to fight it. I have to, to bring hope into that equation. I got to bring perseverance into that equation. You know, there's a few things that we can do as we're, we're fighting through our depression. I think that it's important that we do have people around us. You know, I, a lot of times when we're we're struggling with depression, it becomes a very isolating, you know, mental illness or, or issue that we're struggling with that 
I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to go hang out with people that are having fun. If we just went through a breakup, we don't like to look at couples. You know, if we're struggling with one area or another, you know, we don't want to be faced with that thing. So sometimes getting out of the house is very difficult, but that is the solution is to get myself around somebody else. As much as I might hate it in the moment, you might actually have a good time. You might actually have a laugh, you know, which might start to, you know, start to tip the scales on some level. You know, it's also important that you're putting yourself around the right people. If you've got somebody that's treating you trashy, that's probably not the best person to put yourself around when you're struggling with depression. You know, if you got somebody that's, you know, toxic, that might not be the best person to be around as you're trying to get through your depression. You know, so it's, you know, who is our company? Who are we hanging out with? You know, is there anybody that has a similar story? And even better yet, is there anybody that's got a story that has some freedom in this area? You know, and asking them, well, what did you do? And, you know, and we hear what they did and then we don't want to do it. But at least we asked, right? You know, because it, it might take some work and I don't want to do work. I just want to poof, it's better in the name of Jesus, you know. But that's not always the, the you know, the way these things work. You know, you know, what's the what's the identity or identifying the causes of what's going on? You know, because we may have some things in our life that are adding to the depression. You know, you know, I might be working at a job that I feel is is, is a dead end job and, and I'm not making enough money, but I don't have the strength to go look for a new one. Well, maybe looking for a new one is part of the solution. Maybe I'm in a relationship that just adds to the depression, you know, and I need to value it and, and look at that. And, you know, maybe I'm, you know, hanging out with certain friends that, you know, are really toxic and that's adding to the depression. Maybe I have substance abuse issues, pornography issues, you know, some area of sin that's adding to my depression. So can I identify some of the things that are going on presently? And then can I identify some of the areas in my past? that may be linked to my depression? And then can I start bringing Jesus into those equations? Can I start asking Jesus, what's the root to this? You know, help me to let go of this. Help me to forgive this. You know, I take this to you and I I don't want my identity to be in this anymore. And, And I start really bringing Jesus to help me to deal with some of these things in my past that add to my depression. You know, you know, a lot of times that, you know, depression is is described as anger over time turned inward. So if I've been angry with a parent for a long period of time, eventually I start just getting miserable and, and that anger gets on the inside of me and I don't know how to let go of that. You know, if somebody has abused me in my childhood, you know, I have this anger towards this person, but it, over a long period of time, it's, it starts to be toxic in my life, you know. There's times that, you know, we've gone through certain things, you know, abandonment issues and rejection issues, you know, that it's difficult for us to really identify because it's been there for so long, you know, that we don't really realize that what I'm currently going through is hooked to something 20, 30, 40 years ago. You know, as I've been working with people in this ministry for a long time now. I have not come across one person 
that's done step work that didn't have a resentment that dated back prior to them going into kindergarten. Every single person has some moment in time in their pre-adolescence or childhood that as an adult, doesn't matter how old they are, that there's still anger towards a parent, towards a brother, towards a, you know, a sibling, towards a, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent. And we've been carrying that poison for a long, long time. You know, they've done studies on anger that when there isn't a release to anger, that our brain starts releasing this chemical into our bodies that helps us to get angry. But if we don't know how to release it, that poison stays in our blood. That chemical stays in our blood and our body doesn't know what to do with it, so it stores it. So we start, you know, medically, we start having these things going on in our lives where, you know, we're having depression issues. You know, and all of a sudden we have this chemical imbalance, which is a theory. But, you know, when we study certain things out medically, we can look at, you know, when you study the chemical basis of your tears, there's different chemicals in them for different types of cries. That when you're having a sad cry, you have certain chemicals. When you have an angry cry, you have certain chemicals. When you have a happy cry, you have certain chemicals. And they've done tests on these types of situations that your brain is releasing these chemicals when you're going through certain emotions. You know, so it's important that we bring Jesus into these equations and say, Jesus, you got to heal me. You know, you got to heal my mind. You got to heal, you know, this depression. You got to show me where this is rooted in. You know, you got to help me to, to find my identity in you and not what took place in my childhood. You know, and this isn't a one time prayer. I wish that I could just, in faith, in Jesus' name, poof. I'm better. Now, he can do that. It's rare. I think that it's through our daily disciplines of constantly turning these things over to him, that he's our daily bread, that we constantly keep bringing this stuff back to him, and we start to notice that that burden's a little bit lighter each time we come back to him. You know, some of us have been carrying that heavy yoke of burdens for a long, long time. And we don't know how to let it go. We don't know how to give him our burdens. And it's something that we got to practice doing on a regular basis. You know, there can be unconfessed sin there, you know, that brings on, you know, guilt. There can be misplaced shame. There can be uh, fears. There can be bitterness towards someone. There can be hatred towards someone. There can be grieving. You know, these are all real situations that we've all been through that if they haven't been processed with Jesus can be a source of depression, you know, and it's important that we, you know, start taking these things, evaluating, you know, looking at our life, you know, that's why step work is such an important piece to us healing is because we, we bring every situation that we possibly can think of and lay that stuff at his feet and saying, this is yours. Now I'm going to find my identity in Christ and not what happened. And it's difficult. Some of us have to stare at some pretty ugly stuff and say, you don't own me anymore. I belong to Jesus. And we may have to do it over and over and over again because the enemy 
whispers that lie and we take back our identity in that thing, that situation, and we got to fight through it time and time again. So the enemy realizes that he can't play that trick on us anymore. You know, we resist the enemy, we submit to God, and the enemy eventually will flee. You know, I think that it's very important that we we recognize lies and truth. You know, something that, you know, I have seen and, and have people work on is identifying the lies in certain situations that they've been through. You know, what's the lie? Well, I don't know. Well, it's in there. If you can't identify it, that means you're really deceived. You know, so you got to constantly bring Jesus into that equation. And eventually you're like, oh, that's the lie. That's why a lot of times when we're doing workbooks or stuff work and we're writing stuff down, as you're writing it out, you're like, that's not true. Then all of a sudden you start thinking about it and you're like, that's not how that event happened at all. So how can I find healing in an event that didn't happen the way that it actually happened, that I have a false understanding of the way it happened because I shifted it or the enemy shifted it in my mind, and I've been telling the story in a in a way that wasn't true, so I couldn't find healing in it because I wasn't looking at it correctly. You know, and some of us have told certain stories so many times that over time we believe the lie. And we can't get freedom from something that wasn't true. So it's important that we start identifying lies and truth. Sometimes we got to write this stuff down. And sometimes we got to write this stuff down on a regular basis. You know, what's the lie? What's the truth? What's the lie? What's the truth? What's the lie? What's the truth? You know, because we have to begin to understand every time I hear this lie, I need to replace it with this truth. And the enemy just doesn't give up. He's like, oh, you're going to work on your depression. You want Jesus now? All right, I give up. I wish it was so. The enemy's coming, and and I don't want us to be afraid because we shouldn't be afraid. But he doesn't give up easily, especially when we've been serving the kingdom of darkness for the majority of our lives, and that we've been faithful pupils of his side of the of the game, and we decide that we're going to switch sides. He does everything he can to get us back on his side. You know, he doesn't let go. He's got hooks and, you know, I call it like the puppet strings. You know, he's got all these things that certain events happen. And I'm like, you know, on a marionette getting dragged around. And I don't even know why. You know, and eventually as I start to recognize the lies, I start cutting some of those strings. And all of a sudden Jesus has more control. There's times that I go through certain things. I react a certain way and I don't even know why I'm doing it. How did this happen again? Why am I doing this again? It's rooted somewhere. And we got to dig that stuff out. You know, and a lot of times doing the lies and the truth are the things that help us to start looking at it more clearly because we don't always understand that what we're listening to is the enemy or the Holy Spirit whispering in our ear. You know, and which one are we listening to? Which one are we obeying? And a lot of times we're like, praise Jesus, and then doing what the devil's trying telling us to because he's whispering in our ear. We're so familiar with his voice that we do it his way. You know, you know, so writing down the lies and the truth, it, you know, helps us to get a little bit of freedom step by step, a little bit at a time. You know, these are practical things that we can do on a regular basis to start sorting through what's going on in our head. You know, a lot of the time, the, the self-talk that we have towards ourselves, you know, if we had someone follow us around saying the things that we say about ourselves, we'd get pissed off and probably punch them in the face. 
but we say horrible things about ourselves. I'm no good. I'm worthless. You know, you know, no one's going to want me. I, you know, you know, there's a million things. So if we were to write all those things down and then have somebody follow us around and say, Hey, say these things to us, we would get mad. But when I say that to myself, it's completely acceptable. So we need to start recognizing what the self talk is and start recognizing lies versus truth so that we can start to, you know, change some of these things, you know, evaluating our lifestyle. You know, is there, are we overworked? Are we underworked? You know, money has a, a big part to play in, you know, our identity and our, in depression. You know, I think that it's important that we should be working. However, if we're overworking, that can play a part too. You know, as far as, you know, food is concerned, you know, our health issues, you know, food can play a part in, you know, you know, lack of exercise, lack of sleep watching too much TV, you know, playing too much video games, procrastination, unresolved stressors. You know, all these things are, you know, spiritual disciplines where we're not, you know, doing things that we could practically do in the moment to start adjusting and shifting some of the minor things so that we can start getting a little bit of freedom in certain areas because we're addressing some of these things. You know, this is also important to recognize the lies and the truth in these areas because we can start to recognize that this is an issue. I don't want to deal with it. So we just, you know, tuck that one back on, under the carpet. But it's that there's something there. And if I don't address it, then, you know, it, it plays a part to the heaviness of the burden or the overwhelmingness, the oppression, the depression, you know, the things that we're struggling with. So I have to get honest with myself and say, hey, these are some, con you know, contributors to what's going on mentally in my life, you know, and this is why I turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms because it's a quick fix, you know, and walking out of depression, walking out of that darkness, getting out of that pit, getting rid of the woe is me that's in my soul, you know, takes time, you know, but as I start to address these little things, I start to address what I'm listening to. I start to address what I'm saying to myself. I start to address you know, practical things that are going on in my life. I start to repent of certain sins. I start to pray over certain things. I start to intercede for myself over certain things. All of a sudden, things begin to shift in our lives in a mighty way. And in just a short amount of time, if we start doing little by little each day, we can see how we're way further down the path than we thought we could ever be in just a short amount of time. You know, and I, I'll tell you my you know, part of my testimony, you know, I got sober from all substances and I got this tattoo on the back of my leg that represented the death to my addictions. So I had to quit smoking. I couldn't get this tattoo of the death to my addictions and, and continue to smoke. I, my integrity, you know, wouldn't allow it. So, you know, I quit smoking within six weeks of getting sober and I got this tattoo on my leg and I said, I can't go back to it. Now, there's factors in the quitting smoking and the willingness prayer and, and eventually putting down and eating like a dump truck with a, a bubble gum, you know, in that process as I was trying to get freedom from smoking cigarettes. But I honestly, I think within the first week of not smoking a cigarette, I felt this heaviness begin to lift. And I remember hearing the Holy Spirit speak words of hope. 
for the first time in my life, I started to hear a voice that said, life's not that bad, is it? And it freaked me out. I was like, what was that? Because I was so used to the gloom and doom that life sucks, you suck, I suck, it's always going to suck, just this is the way it's going to suck. I mean, it's just going to be really sucky. And that was the, the song and dance that ran through my mind on a regular basis. And just the short amount of time of, of getting substances out of my life, I wasn't in a relationship, I quit smoking cigarettes, I was reading my Bible on a regular basis, I was praying, I was interceding on a regular basis, and all of a sudden, this heaviness started to lift, and I started to have this newfound hope that I knew that I had struggled with this for a long, long time. There's nothing other than Jesus that was the solution to what was going on in my life at that time. You know, and, you know, it's part of my testimony, you know, that he, you know, started to, to come into my life in, in powerful ways when I started to make small adjustments and large adjustments to what was going on in my daily life. You know, and it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, and we can have unresolved conflicts in our life. There can be relationship issues that are going on that we're really struggling with and it weighs on us and there's a lot of stress that comes with it. You know, and when stress isn't dealt with over time, it can turn into depression or anger. You know, and anger can turn into depression over time. You know, you know, it's important that we're resolving things the best that we can. You know, is there relationships, past or present? You know, and sometimes we can't do anything about certain things, but we can try to clean up our side of the street. We can talk to Jesus about it. And like, we can repent of anything that we need to repent of it. And we can say, all right, Lord, I'm ready if that other person is ever ready. You know what? Instead of staying angry with the other person, I can say that I've done the best that I can and I wait for my opportunity to, to have resolution with that other person. You know, that's all I can do is take care of myself. I can bring me to Jesus. I can't always bring other people. I can pray for other people, but that doesn't mean they're going to come. You know, and we, but we shouldn't stop praying. We shouldn't lose hope. You know, and, you know, I think that it, it's, you know, these disciplines, these small tasks, you know, we start creating some new things in our lives. We start getting some momentum. We start looking at our attitude, you know, the attitude of gratitude. You know, what does that mean? It means that if we start getting the woe is me's or, you know, poor me, you know, I start trying to find things in my life that I can be grateful for. You know, at one season of my life, I was so depressed. I mean, so depressed. I would force myself to go outside and I would sit in the parking lot that was across the street, just in the parking lot. And I would make myself say five things that I was grateful for. And it was like the worst thing ever. I was so depressed and I was so miserable, but I'm like, you have a house, you're alive. That's not really thing to be grateful for. You want to be dead. No, I'm alive. You know, like I had to like convince myself, like you have food in the house. I don't like any of that food, but you have food in the house. You know, and I had to fight myself to find just the teensy weensy little bit of gratitude of what was going on in my life. You know, and every day I was, what's five things? And I, I would try to change the five things. And I, I just couldn't be a checklist that I just said the same five things every day. I would try to force myself to say five things that I was grateful for. And man, that was hard to do back then. And I'm so grateful for everything that's in my life today. Like, I, I am a blessed man. Like, I, I truly am. Like, I really have, 
you know, there's things I want, but I, I really, I can't complain. God has taken very good care of me through the years, you know, and I, I'm very blessed, you know, and I, I believe, I wholly believe that God can do a miracle in every one of our lives. You know, and that's part of believing, you know, I came to believe the second step. I came to believe that a power greater than myself, Jesus Christ, could restore me to sanity. But for me, it's he can restore any area of my life. He is restoration. That's who he is. He restored us to the Father. So he can restore any area of my life. I have to give it to him. I may have to give it to him a million times. And most likely I got to let go of the way I think it's going to be or the outcome of the way it should be the way, according to Tom. But as I release that and say, Jesus, I'm ready to do it your way. He begins to align our steps and healing, restoration, freedom begins to come in a way that we didn't think was going to happen. I know I have lots of stories that I fought with Jesus and said, this isn't going to work, but I'll do it because you won't leave me alone. And I did it and it worked and I got pissed off because it worked because it was his way and not mine. Come on, people, let's talk. You know, and here we go again. All right, Jesus, I, I am so grateful for a God that I can't manipulate. I'm so grateful for a God that, that I am man and he is God. And if I have a God that I can manipulate, I got the wrong God. If I got a Jesus that I can push around and he does what I want him to do, then I got the wrong Jesus. Most likely, he's asking me to do things that I don't want to do because he's bringing me closer to him. You know, and it's releasing some of these things little at a time, a little at a time. I keep bringing them. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back to Jesus. Bring it back to Jesus. Take this to Jesus. Praying through this. Praying through that. Take my depression. Heal my mind. Help me to let go of this. Help me to forgive that. You know, and just I'm I'm not giving up. I'm finding hope in Christ, and I'm not letting go. You know, it's like the woman with the, the issue of blood. She struggled with it for a long, long time. What she do if she just got a hold of his his robe? If she just grabbed a hold of it, there was hope in Christ. And some of us got to just reach for him and just don't let go. And that release of power will come. His power will come. His freedom will come. His will will come. It's so important that we, we put our eyes on Christ and don't let go. It's not about what I want. It's not about getting what I want. It's about getting Jesus. And when I let go of everything that gets in the way between me and him, all of a sudden, things begin to shift. Things begin to change. And all of a sudden, those heavy burdens become light. And we have to keep surrendering these things at his feet because I'll pick up new burdens because that's what I'm really good at. If you would just stand with me right now, please. If you're struggling, if you're struggling on any level, would you just raise your hand? Would some of you get around the people there and just lay your hands on them? And, and I know it's uncomfortable, but I, I promise you that we're trying to get Jesus into your situation.
if you would just raise your hands again, if anybody that didn't get their hands raised. Lord, we just come before you, Lord, and we ask for your supernatural power to, to begin to, to come and lift these heavy burdens, Lord. We ask that you would come and bring renewal to these areas in our mind, Lord, that you would begin to help us to see the deception of the enemy, that you would help us to see the lies that we listen to. Lord, we ask that you would begin to, to move in powerful ways, lifting this depression off of our lives, Lord. But I also ask, Lord, that you would impart us with your courage, that we would begin to face the things that we need to face, that we would begin to, to address the things that we need to address, that we would begin to make small changes, that we would begin to, to press forward, that we would begin to pray differently, that we would begin to, to believe that you are the hope that we can find in our discouragement, that we would believe that you will break us free from this depression that we've been struggling with for a long, long time. Lord, I just ask that you would supernaturally begin to shift things in our lives, Lord, that you would move in everyone's life in this room, Lord. And I thank you for those that raised their hands, Lord. But I believe that you, every one of us in this room needs you to move in one area or another, Lord. I ask that you would bring healing to our minds, Lord, renewing to our minds, Lord, healing to our hearts, Lord, lifting these heavy burdens, Lord, lifting the angst, lifting the anger, lifting the resentments, lifting this depression, lifting the shame, lifting and breaking off addictions, or lifting and breaking off any mental illness or diagnosis that we've been given, Lord, and that we would ask you to come into these areas in our lives, Lord, to bring healing, to bring deliverance, to bring liberty, Lord. We just thank you so much for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.